This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. In an interesting time in life, in the world, uh, it'd be an interesting thing to get a show of hands, but I won't, of like, who thinks we're in a post-COVID time and who thinks we're in a COVID time? But we're in this weird time. Um, and there's a lot of people uh, who are worried about a lot of things, not just COVID. Um, in fact, uh, some people are not really that worried about COVID anymore, it seems, and have moved on to worry about new things. Um, and so, I get to preach this morning about worry in our Forgot Alone series. Um, we've been kind of exploring what it looks like to, to worship God alone, uh, how to use our, our, our time or our money or our energy, our work for God alone. Um, and this is a, a kind of a different take on that. Like at first glance, you'll be like, how is it worshipful to worry? How is worry part of this for God alone series? Um, bear with me. It'll make sense as we go along. Um, I've got three questions for you. Are you worried or stressed or anxious? And, and if you're not all three, which ones are you? And, and, and how do you tell the difference, right? Um, lots of us are experiencing at least one of these things right now. And it's, good, it's worth acknowledging that right up front, uh, that for a whole bunch of you sitting here or sitting on your couch at home, uh, this is a real experience that you're having right this minute. Uh, in fact, uh, maybe it was triggering for you right at the start when that slide came up, and you were like, well, I wasn't worried before, but now I am. Where's this going? Um, I'm going to be focusing mostly on the first of those three categories, but it's kind of worth teasing out what all three of them are. So we're going to try and do that really quickly. I need to acknowledge that I am not a psychologist. I have not studied psychology. Actually, I did one semester on, on developmental psychology in my teaching degree. That's about it. So if you're a psychologist or you know a psychologist or you're married to a psychologist or your parent or child is a psychologist, uh, you could probably school me on, on some of this stuff, but I'll do my best. Worry. According to a psychologist, Melanie Greenberg, worry is what happens when you think about uncertain outcomes and things that could go wrong. And it tends to be repetitive or obsessive thoughts on that kind of topic. A little bit of worry does help us to focus on the problems that we're facing and on solving those problems. It, it gets your attention. But it's when you get stuck thinking about that same problem over and over, or when you get overwhelmed by the sheer number of problems that you feel like you're facing simultaneously, that worry can become a negative impact in your life. You can get stuck in these kind of cycles of worry, or you can form a kind of a habit of worrying where it becomes the thing that you do in your brain all the time. You're always thinking about problems and how to solve them. It can take up a lot of your time and energy, and it can tend to make you quite self-focused 
or even negative about life, that the, gr- the glass is always half empty when you're a warrior. Stress is kind of similar, but also kind of different. Uh, stress is not so much what's happening in your mind, but what's happening in your body. Uh, stress is the response your body gives when you feel threatened. Your heart rate goes up, you get a, a shot of adrenaline and uh, something called cortisol floods through your body, you're on high alert. Stress is good if you're under attack. If a, if a lion is about to eat you, it's good to be stressed, right? It gives you all the stuff that you need in your body to fight or flee. Uh, I used to work, some of you know this, I used to work as an actor, like a stage actor, and when I was standing in the wings, just about to come on for my scene, I would feel stress, I would feel nervous. And it was a good thing. It made me focused, it made, made sure I didn't forget my lines, it made me really kind of hyper aware of everything that all the other actors on the stage were doing and, and the rhythm of the scene and like that, that's good, right? But if you get stressed all the time, every day, if every time you go to work, it's stressful, and you, you're constantly in this state of high alert over and over and over and over and over, that's not good for your health. Uh, it can affect your heart, it can affect your gut, it can affect your immune system. Uh, it's not good to be in that fight or flight mode all the time. Which kind of leads us to the third category here, which is anxiety. Anxiety is kind of like stress, but without the threat. Or at least, with the, the threat is completely taken out of proportion or out of context. It's like a false alarm in your body, in that system. You've got these anxious feelings or anxious thoughts that won't go away, or even that are kind of just happening to you, seemingly without a cause. You just feel stressed about nothing all the time. Uh, according to Beyond Blue, anxiety is the most common mental health condition in Australia today. One in three women and one in five men will experience anxiety at some stage of their life. That's massive. I look around you. One in three of the women in this room or one in five of the men in this room will suffer from anxiety at some point in their life. So if you're struggling with anxiety, this sermon is not really going to be about that. Uh, and actually, a sermon is probably not the thing you need. Uh, you probably need some medical, professional, psychological help and advice. Uh, and I think sometimes in the past, people like me in churches have got up and given sermons that have kind of mushed all these ideas together into one and said, if you're feeling anxious, then you need to pray more. And I really think that's really unhelpful. And I just kind of want to name that up front. Uh, our focus this morning isn't on stress or anxiety, important as managing those things are. I really want to just try and stay focused on this idea of worry. Are we good with that? All right, we're all on, all on the same page, which is page two. Uh, 
We live in a worried world. Uh, Some of you would have done uh, a Bible study this week where you would have seen this chart and you'll know it well. Um, IPSOS, Ipsos, uh, does a monthly survey globally about worry. Every month they survey the world somehow uh, and they collect all this data about what people are worried about and they track the trends over time, month by month, year by year. So this is the July report. Uh, I don't know if you can see it from the back, uh, but I'll tell you, these are the top 10 most worrying things to the people of the globe. Uh, They might not be the things that worry people in Narara necessarily, although I think they do, uh, but globally, in total, this is what our world worries about. Inflation. That's the number one. 38% of responders said they were worried that, that... Inflation was in their top three worries. Why are we worried about inflation? I don't even understand inflation. Just like I I don't know much about psychology, I also don't know much about economics. Uh, What I do know is that inflation increases our cost of living, right? Things cost more when there's inflation. And we're worried about things costing more because we need to buy things like food and clothes and a house to live in and things like that. Basically, the more inflation is, the more expensive things get, and that's worrisome. Now, you might not realize this, uh, because the IPSOS didn't exist 2,000 years ago, but 2,000 years ago, people worried about the same stuff. People worried about having enough food and being able to buy enough food or grow enough food. People worried about having enough clothes to wear and being able to afford them. Necessary items were on the mind of the disciples 2,000 years ago. They actually probably had more reason to worry about that stuff back then than we do in the 21st century in Australia. Like much of the world today, uh, the disciples, the first followers of Jesus, lived on the edge. There's this kind of idea uh, that a lot of people live on this kind of edge where they are one disaster away from starvation. Uh, if the breadwinner in the household gets sick or injured or, or dies, then all of their dependents, their children, their elderly parents, the people who rely on them for that income will be starving very quickly. People didn't have a lot of savings. There was no Centrelink. If you didn't have wealthy family or friends to support you, then you would be completely ruined by one accident or one illness. So they worried, naturally. Makes sense, doesn't it? Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't you worry about these things? Well, it's interesting because Jesus says this. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I forgot to advance the slides. There you go. Jesus wanted to encourage his disciples. He wants to say there is no need to worry, no need to be afraid. Now, uh, you might not be looking at a paper Bible. You might have been relying on my slides that I forgot to click. Uh, or you might be on, a, on an app and just have Luke 12, 22 to 34 open in front of you. But if you have a paper Bible and you want to glance, just, just glance up the page slightly. You might need to turn back a page and see the bit that came just before this. Uh, it might look familiar to you. You see, Jesus, there's a context to what Jesus is doing here. And actually, luckily for us, uh, Josh Thomas preached on this text a couple of weeks ago. Uh, if you missed it, you can watch it on YouTube, you can listen to the podcast. I do recommend it. Uh, Anyway, the story is that there's this man who is complaining that, I guess his, his parents have died, and there's an inheritance, and his brother inherited everything, and he didn't get anything. And he says to Jesus, make my brother share his inheritance with me. And Jesus teaches this man and, and the crowd who are listening, he says, beware of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So that's what the, the therefore is there for. Sorry, that's lame, isn't it? Um, that's why Jesus begins what I just read with a therefore. He's saying, therefore I tell you, don't worry. There are two kinds of ways to live your life, according to Jesus. Uh, elsewhere, he talks about these as, as loving God or loving money. But it's a similar idea here. He's saying you can live your life focused on the things of this life, focused on food or clothes, or maybe for us focused on cars or phones or TVs or concerts or family holidays or you get the idea, right? Um, to give you some idea of uh, some more statistics, you know, we've had psychology and we've had... Uh, Economics, now we're having statistics. Uh, this is from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, and this is how Australians spend our money. $666 billion a year, and this is how Australian households spend their money. Just let you have a look at that, see what kind of jumps out to you. Uh, it's interesting that we, uh, we spend a lot of money on a lot of things. 
I think it's interesting that we spend 14.9 billion on alcohol and only 1.6 on tea and coffee. I feel like I spend more on coffee than alcohol. But anyway, that is, that is there. Uh, here's some more data, because that wasn't enough. Hey, I, I saved space on the other side of the slide to give you some more, because I can see you're all really enjoying it. There's a lot to take in, isn't there? Uh, this side uh, gives you a kind of a ranking from how we spend most of our money to how we spend least of our money. This is kind of weekly average spending per household. The other one was kind of total. This is average per household. Um, I don't know what your household budget looks like. I don't know how you prioritize different things. Uh, you know, housing costs, food and non-alcoholic beverages, transport, recreation. That seems kind of high to me. Uh, miscellaneous goods and services, whatever that is. Medical and health expenses, household, you can read. You know what it says. The point is, are Australians wise in how we spend our money? Where is our focus? What is our priority? Do we spend too much on recreation? Do we spend not enough on education? Do we spend too much on alcohol or beauty or fashion or pet pampering? Nearly half a billion on pet pampering. Uh, maybe those things are justifiable. You know, is it really wrong to spend money on the things you love, to enjoy your life? Is that wrong? Surely not. Actually, I have some other questions, some deeper questions, because I think there are some assumptions built into this data. The, the way that the Australian Bureau of Statistics wants to explain this stuff or present this stuff has some assumptions. They had to kind of collect together categories of things, and there's some categories that I think are missing. Like, how much does the average weekly Australian household spend on generosity? It's not a category. Spending money on other people, or, or, or charity, or giving money away to church. Or, or like, recreation. Like, is that just frivolous having fun on the weekend, or, or is that actually, you know, exercise, going to the gym, taking care of your health, or, or maybe it's, it's spending time with your friends or, or with family. You know, there's valuable experiences you have together that's kind of lumped in with frivolous fun. Anyway, I've got a lot of questions about this. We could go on and on about the data, but what I really want to know is what does Jesus think? What would he say? to all of this, to how we live our lives as 21st century Australians. Oh, I can tell you what he would say. He would say, do not worry. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Your Father knows that you need these things. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink or how you'll pamper your pet. Do not be afraid, little flock. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's almost like the data isn't relevant. Jesus has a whole kind of completely different way of thinking that doesn't fit with these kinds of categories. 
It's all upside down, or it seems to be. Actually, it's, we're, we're the ones that are upside down. Our money, our possessions, they're not the true treasures of life, not according to Jesus. According to Jesus, the true treasure is Jesus himself and the things that he treasures, the things of his kingdom, the things that he spends all his energy on doing and preaching about and living out as you read Luke or any of the Gospels. The treasure is in loving one another as He has loved us, in giving and not taking, in the joy of creativity, in the beauty of the flowers and the birds and the created world, in the simple pleasure of connecting with another human soul, in the awesome wonder of connecting with the living God. Jesus says, you may as well just sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. Because in the kingdom of God, giving to the poor is more precious than holding on to your possessions. What a crazy idea. What a radical thing to teach. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now we're getting somewhere, aren't we? Now we need to realize that uh, Jesus, I don't think Jesus is being directive. Maybe that's not the right word for it. I think he is being directive. But it, this isn't a teaching where he's saying, you must not worry, and if you do, you're being unfaithful. He's not saying, you must not be afraid, and if you do so, you're being a sinner. It's not that kind of direction that Jesus is giving. It's an invitation. He's saying, when you live in the kingdom, in the way of the kingdom, there is no need for worry or fear. That's an old habit that you can just give up. You don't need to be greedily grasping for money like that man who wanted his share of the inheritance or storing up things like your, for yourself, like the man in the parable that Jesus has just taught, who had a bumper crop and wanted to store it all away so he could keep it for a long time and live off it. He's saying you don't need to live a life where you worry about what you'll eat or what you'll wear, or keeping hold of your possessions as if they are yours to keep. Sell them. Give them away. Who cares? Why not? That's the invitation. Uh, N.T. Wright, one of my favorites, uh, says this, the kingdom of God is, at its heart, about God's sovereignty, sweeping the world with love and power, so that human beings, each made in God's image and each one dearly loved, may relax in the knowledge that God is in control. When Jesus says, seek first his kingdom, that's the kingdom that we're seeking. When Jesus says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, that's the treasure he's talking about. So consider the kingdom of God. You might even want to kind of close your eyes and imagine a, a world where God's love and power are made known 
and experienced. You can open your eyes because you're in it. The kingdom is here among us, even now. It is in each Christian heart. The indwelling Holy Spirit gives us a taste of the kingdom. And when we walk in step with the Spirit, when we walk in keeping with the values of the kingdom, the way of Jesus, we can bring that taste of the kingdom out into the world and make it real for other people. We experience the kingdom when we love one another and when we love God, the King. And the great thing about this kingdom is that it's free. You don't need a lot of money or a lot of possessions or a lot of stuff. Uh, You don't need economic security. (laughs) It's free. Jesus has given it to us, giving us himself on the cross. And as he has freely given to us, so we can freely give to others. This is an economy without economy. If he was pleased to give us the kingdom, how much more can and will he give us these other things as well? Those things that we need, those things that we spend our time worrying about, food to eat, clothes to wear, all those other things on that list, inflation. If we really get stuck, we live in a kingdom. We are surrounded by people with those same values, our fellow citizens in the kingdom. I would love to see that more and more. As your pastor, I implore you, let's be that more and more for one another. And then we can do what N.T. Wright says here, we can relax in the knowledge that God is in control. How good is that? I want to finish uh, with some more words from Jesus uh, that really, I think, sum up that idea, that, that relaxing in the knowledge that God is in control. If you're worried about having enough, or if you're constantly concerned about interest rates or inflation or your bank account or your job security, if you spend so much of your time and energy and thought on making contingency plans or or checking and double-checking and triple-checking that you really have enough saved up for a rainy day, if you're always striving for more, looking for the next angle to improve your financial situation, then I want to encourage you to listen to these words from Jesus. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm going to leave these words on the screen. I want to encourage you to to sit 
with those words, maybe to read them again slowly to yourself, to really listen to the voice of Jesus, saying those words directly to you, to your situation, to your heart. And then when we've sat with that for a while, uh, the band is going to come up and we're going to sing about it. Uh, When we've kind of taken it in, uh, then we'll be ready, I think, to really celebrate how great it is to live the life of the kingdom of God. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.